Last week was six. Ooh, sorry, I tapped that button while you were speaking. <laughs> Recording in progress. That's rock and roll. How are you? Very well, thank you, Dave. Very well. You good. How's your week been so far? Um, well, we were just back from holiday from uh, yesterday. We were away for a long weekend on Aaron, which was lovely. Um, definitely feeling like it's gotten a lot colder this morning. Um, it was like seven degrees this morning when I was heading out. So, but yeah. at least it's sunny. Yeah. So just kind of get back into the swing of things this week. How about you? Off to a strong start. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good start. Good start to the week. Good start to the day. Went out for a cycle this morning. I definitely felt the the drop in temperature. Um, we must be the only place in the world that has a 20 degree swing around in temperature in 24 <laughs> hours. Yeah. I mean, Sunday, Sunday was 21 and a half degrees. Today, probably when I went out on my bike, six. <laughs> Mental. Oh, Mental. Scotland. It's uh, ever changing weather. Yeah. Um, so welcome to episode seven, season two, episode seven of the Dave and Callum podcast. Uh, what are we talking about today? We're talking about what we can do when we're short on time in the gym and at home in regards to workouts. Yeah. So some good tips coming your way. Uh, if you find that time is not on your side but you still want to get a good workout in still want to kind of tick that box make a little bit of progress um and i think the key here you're going to find out is a bit of flexibility um and understanding that even if you're short of time you can still get a good good workout in and uh move yourself forward a little bit yes yeah brilliant um this is one that comes up with clients quite often isn't it um i've certainly found that um with people getting back to work in the office a bit more um that time is not always there to do the same sort of workouts they did when they were working from home and they had a bit more flexibility and less of a commute so do you want to kick things off yeah definitely i think um you're right this is definitely a hot topic something that's been discussed um many many times over especially over lockdown mm -hmm. um with people, A, finding more time, obviously with the commuting and whatnot, lack of commuting, I should say, but also how have they been able to transition into that more work commuting mode? Um, and I think when you're going back to the gym, I think keeping it short, Callum's <laughs> frozen again. I think this issue is actually my internet and I've ordered a new one. It's just not here yet. So I'm not sure if you are. <laughs> and he's back. Here we are. And the sound's gone. Is your sound there? There we go. There you go. Callum, you're on mute. Callum, you're on mute. Uh, that happened a lot quicker than it did last time. I don't know. I, I completely disappeared. My my Zoom just collapsed. Yeah. I, uh, I'm moving away from my standing desk and I am going to go out into the hall where I maybe get better reception. Okay. We'll put this on pause then. Well, we don't put it on pause. We'll just, just add a hold sound. A little bit of music. There. 
Awesome. Basically, where I was, what I was saying was, when you're when you're in the gym or you're wanting to go in for a fast, quick workout, there's so many factors that happen prior to it that goes through our mind. We think about, I don't have time to do this. It's going to take me X amount of time to get to the gym. It's going to take me X amount of time to get changed, etc., etc. And how can we condense what could typically be an hour, an hour and a half session into something that's a lot quicker to get you in and out to make sure that you are keeping your time management, keeping to your um, appointments, work schedule, family life, et cetera, et cetera. And I think this podcast is really going to dial in on that. So if you're wanting to go to a gym and keep your workout short and sharp, one of my recommendations, and probably Dave, you may share the same philosophy here, is ensuring that you get the most bang for your buck out of the exercise that you're doing. Now, a lot of us may not know what that means and know what that does, but when we go into the gym, it's not a case of just doing bicep curls or tricep extensions or tricep kickbacks or anything along those lines. We have to ensure that we are recruiting the most amount of muscle fibers possible within a movement and within a short space of time. So in terms of compound movements, now compound movements are movements that require more than one muscle group, but also generally work on the upwards of 75% of the muscles within the body. So you like to see your squats, your deadlifts, your push press, your chin-ups, your bench, etc. Um, so really focusing in on those main lifts, the big five, the big three, whatever kind of you can group as that. Mm-hmm. But if you're just focusing on those alone and ensuring you're doing three sets of eight, basic, nice and standard, mm-hmm three of those exercises you're going to be good and then you can leave and if you're doing three sets of eight your rest period doesn't need to be any longer than a minute and a half tops so half an hour is actually very doable to recruit the majority of muscles in your body if not them all by doing those movements yeah yeah um i think the key is exercise selection um Another thing that people have to think about is if you're used to going into the gym and doing 10 to 15 minutes on the cross trainer, doing some foam rolling, doing some static stretches, doing this long extended warm up where you know you're taking a good 15 to 20 minutes just to get started, you need to understand how to change that and make it a little bit more uh, a little bit more efficient is probably the the best word I can think of. Um, So thinking about something like some bear crawls, um, some upper back rotation work, um, mobility on anything that you particularly need, and then working through some light sets, the big exercises that you're going to be doing. So that might be some single leg RDLs, it might be some goblet squats, um, some push-ups, something like that, just to kind of get you going and get you into the state of readiness you need for the workout. Uh, yeah, that's a mistake I see a lot of people make. <clears throat> the gym that I work at at Craig Locker, um, you're limited to 55 minutes. That is the length of the session that you can book out. Um, and you see a lot of people wasting a lot of time at the start of that session with this long extended warm up, which leaves you only maybe 40, 45 minutes for the actual work. You know, you could add yourself another 10 minutes onto that. And if you're pushed on time already, so you're only maybe doing half an hour, you don't want to spend half of it just getting ready to do something. You want to uh, make it as efficient as you possibly can. Definitely. Um, And kind of coming from that kind of strength and conditioning background as well, um, it's, you're right, you need to be in that state of 
readiness for it. And it's generally called a ramp warm-up. Mm -hmm. um, I was just kind of look, <laughs> looking at something there just so I didn't butcher it. But you're looking at to raise your heart rate, mm -hmm. activate the areas of joints, the muscles in your body, mobilize and potentiate. So start to increase the intensity. So if you're doing squats, you're right, or benching or whatever, start with kind of building up the intensity of the movement that you're going to do. Yeah. That's all you need to do. You don't need to be on a treadmill for half an hour. That's not a warm up. That's yeah. you do cardio. Yeah. A cross trainer, 10 minutes is not you doing a warm up. That's you doing cardio. Yeah. Because you're not activating the muscles or stimulating the muscles ready for the movement that you're ready to do. So you yeah. can minimize that to five minutes tops. Yep. I think somebody said, uh, I forget who it is, but they said the, the warm up is the workout. Um, <laughs> so your, your warm up should mimic what you're going to do. You know, if you're going to be doing, you know, a, as ridiculous as it sounds, intervals on, on the cross trainer, then yeah, do some cross trainer as part of your warm up. But you're not going to be doing that because that would be a ridiculous waste of time. Um, make your warm up as similar to your workout as you can in terms of how you warm up and what you're moving. Like there's no point in, in mobilizing your ankle if you're doing an upper body session. Like you're, it's probably not going to make that much of a difference. You Absolutely. Know, mobilizing your upper back, however, is going to make a difference. So learning how to um, become more efficient with the warm-up stuff. Um, and I think both of us have got warm-up guides in our resources sections on the website. Yeah. So have a look there. You can get some ideas of how to build your own warm-up and structure it in a way that is going to positively impact your session. Yeah. So. I don't think it's anybody, I don't think it's anybody's fault or anybody, you know, it's not their it's it's their experience. So there's people are exposed to warm-ups on TV. Mm -hmm. And when you watch football, rugby, hockey, any team sport, any individual sport, tennis, etc., um, that's what people are exposed to. Mm -hmm. So when you see people kind of mobilizing their ankles or you know doing shoulder stretches for lower body workouts, etc., yeah. um, that's just what they know because they see it. Yeah, of course. It's I wasn't going to call out anybody for being lack of knowledge or anything. But oh no, no, no! I know you're not. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're not. But I'm just, I'm just saying. You know, if you know, when people are listening to this, they may be like, well, I don't actually know how to warm up for the for the movement or for the exercise or for the session that I'm doing. Yeah. So, you know, an ankle warm up, you're right, is not going to necessarily do any benefit to uh, a bench press. But people will still incorporate that into the warm up because they don't know how to effectively warm up for the bench. It's sure. just a warm up. So they, they just think they're warming up. They're warming becomes, up their body. It becomes more of a general thing rather than specific to the session, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, general readiness. But what we're looking for is specific readiness to to the task in hand. Yeah, and to get the most out of the workout that you're trying to get done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of building workouts, you already mentioned kind of compound lifts rather than isolation lifts. So thinking about some kind of deadlift variation, now that could be like, it could be a kettlebell deadlift, it could be an RDL, it could be a trap bar or a, or a, or a straight bar deadlift. Um, what you're trying to think about is the general movement and then best make it specific to your abilities. 
Um, so for a lot of my clients, they don't do a straight bar deadlift simply because it's not appropriate for them. They can't get in good positions, such as a trap bar or um, a kettlebell. Um, and if you're looking to push the workout in terms of speed and, and maybe some slightly higher reps, going for something like a trap bar or a kettlebell might be actually a better solution for a lot of people because you've got a little bit more flexibility. It's a little less technique heavy, um, but you still get a lot of good work done from it. Yeah. And I think one of the things I focus in on is to ensure that whatever the movement the client is doing or prescribed to do, safety is the number one factor that we focus in on. Yeah. And not to say, not to say that exercises are dangerous in any way shape or form and i think i've said this before in the podcast i'm a big fan of the saying there's no right or wrong on the consequences if you're not able to put yourself into a position where you can deadlift from the floor what's wrong with doing deadlifts from blocks or trap bar or rdls because at the end of the day you're still going to get the same effect so to speak um for your long-term goal yeah. nobody's nobody's training necessarily to try and lift a heavy ass weight off the floor for one rep none of my clients are anyway and i mm-hmm. presume none of your clients are too so it's all about being flexible and when you're going in to do it yourself and um, flexibility to your workout is important so that's where a little bit of kind of background knowledge comes in from following blog posts that we write or following us on instagram to see what we're putting up and you know asking questions because a lot of people will see the individuals going into the gym, doing a squat, doing a deadlift, but don't know what the, the regression of that is, but may also not know what the progression of that is as well. Yeah. Um, and I think when you're trying to push workouts quicker, um, and this is something we'll get into in a bit more depth in a second, is, is you're thinking about doing slightly higher reps, you're shortening rest times, you're maybe supersetting or you know, giant setting stuff. Um, so fatigue becomes an issue. So you want to remove the more technical lifts from the session mm-hmm. to still be able to get the work done with minimal of risk, right? Because technique is going to fail as you fatigue. Like there's no point in trying to buy high rep deadlifts when you've been fatigued from four other exercises within the circuit or, or within the session. Yeah. Um, so you have to kind of think about how you're going to build the session um, to get the best out of it. So think about that. Um, how would you structure a workout for someone who's got maybe 30 minutes? They've done their warm-up. They've maybe got 30 minutes to get, and get a full body workout in. Go. <laughs> no problem. What would I do? So basically what I would do, one, if we're just talking about one soul session, yep. we're not talking about the three sessions a week, just purely one session, I would focus on full body mm-hmm. so that would include but not exclusive too <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a um, next to this <laughs> generally there'd be a squat variation mm-hmm. a quad dominant exercise a hinge dominant exercise a push dominant exercise a pull dominant exercise a lunge dominant exercise and a rotation dominant exercise okay so covering six different things. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily have to be, I need to work on core, because if you do your squat, for example, you're still working your core. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily need to be like 
we need to do core work afterwards. Yeah. And so generally it would be three sets of eight, um, minimal rest period, or three sets of 15 and upwards for after you've done your main, main focus lift, mm-hmm. where the risk of injury is less. And it would be squat, walking lunges, um, press-ups, inverted row, and farmer's carries, for example. Cool. Condense that down, superset them. So superset, putting two exercises together. Yep. Again, I probably wouldn't focus on the squat, for example, as a superset. I just purely focus on the squat, but superset everything else, mm-hmm. um, which is going to reduce the amount of time that you're doing it, reduce the amount of rest period, but also maximize the what you're getting from, from that session as well. So ultimately, two exercises at once, rest afterwards. Yeah. Two exercises, one after another, rest afterwards, you should say. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that's quite a simple way of putting everything together in one tidy little package. Um, yeah. There, there are a lot of ways you can kind of work with that, right? It's rather than working for specific sets, you could do time sets. Mm-hmm. You could do put 20 minutes on the clock and see how many total rounds you can do of, of a particular circuit. Um, yep. your, your rest is built in as you need it. Um, so it's a bit more, uh, you've got a little bit more control, sorry? A little bit more intense as well. Yeah, yeah. And you've got a bit more control over how you how you work the circuit because um, it's up to you to rest and push whenever you feel, feel right. Um, I think the key to thing to remember is that it's, we're not looking for optimal here. It's, no. it's get something done that moves you a step closer to your goal. And it might be a tiny step, but it's probably better than doing nothing. Um, and yeah, having that flexibility to play around with different ideas. Um, one of the ones that I, I've done previously is, is taking those six groups of exercises, um, pretty much similar sort of format, Splitting them into groups of three and doing countdown circuits. So you start with maybe 50 seconds on the clock and you do 50 seconds of each exercise. Um, the next round you do 40, next round you do 30 seconds, last round you do 20 seconds, give yourself a couple of minutes rest, then you go into the next pairing and repeat the format. Um, you get a decent amount of time. Um, it's getting progressively shorter amounts of time as you get more tired. So you're still getting a good amount of work done but you're reducing risk of injury through fatigue or whatever so um but yeah that's just a couple of examples guys of, of how you can build a, a very effective workout in a very short amount of time i think um one of the one of the benefits i was just thinking about this when you're saying all that was um this is where for me in my opinion um crossfit mm-hmm. w word is potentially a winner because mm. when people get real solid results from that because it's intense exercise over a short space of time mm-hmm. now whatever whatever people's opinions are on crossfit when coached properly it's just a circuit right it's just a circuit but yeah. what it's doing it's hitting all the factors it's hitting anaerobic anaerobic capacities yeah and if you can get that in a workout then in 20 minutes like you don't need to do anything else for the rest of the day because yeah. you've, you've ticked that box. So circuits are definitely key. As many rounds as possible, as many reps as possible. 
you know, in a short space of time. You've mentioned giant sets before. Cluster sets are good. I mean, these are all kind of terminology that, you know, we don't really need to talk about, but it's um, potentially worth highlighting. And yeah, avoid, what I generally tend to avoid is hit, you know, like just hit as a general, generalization. Yeah. Jumping around your living room has worked for people. People have become very successful from it, but I think there's no real focus and that's where a lot of potential niggles and injuries can stem from when not addressed properly with certain movement patterns. Yeah, I think the interesting thing with that is, is the misunderstanding that comes from not understand or not knowing the difference between intensity and effort. Yeah. Intensity is percentage of load. Intensity is how much you're lifting compared to your one rep max. Oh. Right? Science. Effort is bounce around and sweating your bits off. I was wondering where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah. Trying to be very diplomatic here. Yeah. It's it's getting your heart rate up. Like, like you can do, you know, a set of 15 with an appropriate load is high effort. A set of three with an appropriate load is high intensity. There's a big difference. Um and it but you know, high effort interval training doesn't have quite the same ring to it. I don't no. think. So I think people think that they're going in with intensity. I mean, correct me wrong, that, that is my kind of understanding of what intensity is, right? It's, it's, it's not how much you sweat after a workout. It's not how, how high your heart rate goes. Although to be fair, after one rep max deadlift, your heart rate is going to be through the roof anyway. Um, it's, yeah, it's bang for your buck, like we said at the start. It's, it's moving enough weight to get a positive adaptation it's not just going in for a sweat session. And I, yeah, 100%. And this, this is, I think that sweat session is what people, people look for to begin with. I've had numerous clients in the past that have said to me, I have not sweated that session that you've done for me. It hasn't worked. Yeah. Because people base their effort solely on the amount they perspire. Or how sore they are after the session. Exactly. But understand, guys, that that is not the case. You can go through a session and maybe just have a, so, a singular bead of sweat dripping off your brow. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean to say you've had a bad session. Yep. The intensity was probably just about the intensity was just rub it right. Yeah. It might right? just be cold in the gym. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because why do you sweat? You sweat yep. to cool yourself down. Right. So it's not it's not a solid indicator. And soreness the next day is also not a good indicator as well as how beneficial work it is. The soreness is, which we've discussed in the past, is delayed onset of muscle soreness, but that is a change in stimulus through the muscle group. Yeah. That's change. all it is. A changing pattern, changing program. I get stiff after a workout that I've not done for months. Yeah. When my program changes, I'll get stiff. So that's not necessarily about how conditioned you are. It's yeah. just about the different stimulus of that individual. Yeah. I mean, you and I have been training for a long time. Like, if it was purely... On and off. Patient, right? <laughs> on, on and off. off. Yeah, on and off. Um, but, like, we still get sore after a change in volume from yeah. either introducing an exercise we've not done for a long time, changing, going from a, a 
a, a low set, a low rep set of something to a higher rep set will do it because of the change in volume. It, it will happen the other way less often because the, the volume is, is different. But any kind of change in volume, be it from a change in sets and reps, a change of loading, um, it might even be from just correcting techniques so the exercise is being done right. You know, and, and you're actually feeling it where you're supposed to feel it will cause muscle soreness. Um, but yeah, it's not an indicator that a, a session is good or bad. It's just different. Yeah. And the volume. Do you want to go into a little bit about the volume and how that works? Uh, yeah, sure. Because I think when people think, oh, you know, volume, how does that work? Mm -hmm. When I've described it to clients in the past, say for, you know, this is all hypothetical. Say, for example, I got an individual, I got one client to do um, one rep maxes mm -hmm. of a deadlift and the one rep max was 100 kilograms. Yep. If you do that, maybe not a one rep max, but, you know, say you do two reps to that, that's 200 kg they've lifted from the floor mm -hmm. in two reps. Yeah. Whereas a change in volume would mean if you did 50 kilograms mm -hmm. of eight reps, yep. that's going to be more than the 200 that that's just lift, that individual just lifted. But you'll see that is a super strong guy because he can lift 200 kilograms, but the volume of 50 yep. by eight is a lot higher than what he or she is currently lifting. Yeah. So like if you had three sets of eight at 50 kilos, what's that? 1,200 kilos? You've done six yeah. times the volume yeah. across all sets. And that's going to feel very different to your two reps at, or your two sets of one at 100 kilos. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. that's this volume that we're talking about. And that's where the, you know, Dave and I would experience the stiffness and the soreness the next day, so to speak because that would be the change in volume, change in stimulus that we need to, to grow and adapt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also interesting thing on volume is it's, it's a very individual thing. Mm -hmm. you know, some clients will get sore with moving to three sets of 10. Some clients won't feel that until they hit four sets of 10 or four sets of 12. You know, it's, it's comes down to training experience. It comes down to load. It comes down to total volume, all that sort of stuff. Um, and that varies from person to person so and um, don't yeah. be chasing pain it's not worth it absolutely not absolutely not no way especially if you have stairs to navigate <laughs> after a squat session it seems every gym that i go to has massive number of stairs to climb out of to get back to the car park i think you need to figure out you know change gyms is basically <laughs> this the moral of that story yeah next time a giant's going to have no stairs on a flat exit to the car park uh, but I think that's the that's the gym. What would you do? Because maybe not a lot of people who are listening to this are members of the gym. Mm -hmm. So how would you switch it up for getting the most bang for your buck at home? Um, I would treat it exactly the same way, but switching out loaded movements, heavily loaded movements, typically um, for body weight or band resistance, kettlebells, whatever the client has at home. And that's definitely a situation where I'll use time sets more often. Yeah. Um, I've got one client in particular who doesn't like a long session at home. Um, she's not ready to go back into the gym yet, you know, due to vaccinations and 
you know, cases and all that sort of stuff going up. Um, but she wants to get a workout in. She doesn't want it to last long. And she likes the time sets. Like if I give her three sets of 10 squats or three sets of 15 squats, she doesn't feel it. If I give her three sets of 45 seconds on a squat, she has to work for it a wee bit more. She can push the pace a little bit and she can adapt that, how she feels, um, adapt the pace based on how she feels um, across the weeks or month um, that she's working in. Um, so maybe something like for her, it would be 40 seconds on, 20 seconds off, uh, rotating between two, three or four exercises, um, trying to go full body again, generally. Um, although there is a session in there this month, which is an upper lower split. Um, so it'll be, for example, um, squats, some sort of glute bridge, hip thrust variation, some kind of single leg lower body work, and then something just to make it burn. Um, frog squat. <laughs> Love a frog squat. You're uh, an evil man. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all relatively easy to do from a technique standpoint. They're not going to be impacted by fatigue. Um, and you can get a lot of stuff done in that time. Um, total session time for workouts is something like 25 minutes. You know, it's, it's not, a lot of my, not a lot of time, um, but still a lot of work being done. Um, and the thing with home sessions that a lot of people have to remember, if you don't have a lot of equipment and a lot of loading, you're not necessarily going to be building a lot, well, you're not going to be building a lot of strength, first of all, and you're not necessarily going to be building a lot of muscle mass if you have any reasonable amount of training experience, because the stimulus just isn't, isn't going to be there. It's about maintaining what is already there, getting an aerobic kind of workout done, um, and, and feeling better for having moved for the day. You just hit the nail on the head there. You, you said, quote, unquote, any sort of training experience mm -hmm. so for the likes of you and i it'd mm -hmm. be more uh, maintenance is what yep. you're saying whereas for potentially somebody who's new to exercise mm -hmm. would massively benefit from the new stimulus that the body's going through yeah because it's new they're going it's, it's it comes down to that volume thing again they're doing more volume than they've ever done before so they're potentially going to see more muscle mass. They're going to see a strength improvement. Like for some people, you know, getting better at push-ups is a strength exercise. Yeah, for you, Tell me about it. that is not a strength exercise, right? It's, there's not enough loading. Like it compared to something like a dumbbell press or a bench press, you're not putting the same load through your upper body as you would on push-ups. So. You know, for people with low training experience, and training experience is basically just how long you've been consistently training for. You know, if you've been training less than a year, I consider you as a novice lifter. You know, yeah, anything is going to be beneficial. If you've been training one to five years, you're probably intermediate. You know, you can still see relatively quick improvements in training and strength and muscle mass, all that stuff. Beyond five years, you have to work a lot harder for a lot less in terms of gains, whether that's strength, whether that's muscle mass, whether that's conditioning, whatever. And can you remember, I mean, this is kind of going a little bit off tangent, but can you remember roughly what the gain in muscle mass is for an individual that's experienced in training five plus years? Over how long? A year. 
it's, I don't know the exact number, but it's going to be tiny. It's like zero point kilos or something, like over a year. Over the year, yeah. Sorry, per per month would be like zero point, like point five. It's nothing. <laughs> yeah. Whereas when you're new to it, that curve, that increase of um, strength and change is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it might be, might be worth doing a um, future podcast on on that alone because I think a lot of people potentially look into it. And go, well, it's easy for you guys because you've done this, this, and this. But understand for potentially us to see a huge body compositional change mm-hmm. in muscle mass is going to take us a lot longer to see than you. Yeah. Without the hard, without a hard or hard diet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The longer you've been at it, the, the less the return for your effort is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for most people, I think after a certain amount of time, it's about maintaining as much of the hard-earned lean mass that you have as possible, and as much of yeah. your strength as you can as you possibly can. And because there will be a, a, a point where the, those things start to actually decline, it's probably a lot later than a lot of people think. Um, and again, that's a topic we can go into another time. It's like metabolism changes over lifetime and and how that kind of affects you. But. Um, where did my brain go? There, my brain literally just switched off. I was right in the middle of the floor, and it just. <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat there. I was expecting some sort of bombshell to appear. Something, something, something. Maintained, not gained. <laughs> there we go. I'll jump. I'll jump in here. I think. Um, well, I think it's an age thing, Dave. <laughs> aging, aging, lack of caffeine. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think when a lot of people, a lot of people to begin with, right? Let's we can probably wrap this up quite quickly as well. But I just want to chuck this in. A lot of people to begin with, when they're starting a training phase, regardless if it's um, in the gym or at home, no disrespect to individuals who are just starting, but are generally carrying a percentage more muscle mass, sorry, more mass on their body than optimal for themselves. So generally, they're overweight, right? So when they're in an overweight condition, they're already carrying more mass on their body, which is going to give them the progressive overload that they need to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you walk around, like if I was to pick up my dog, in fact, I've got a story for you. Progressive overload about the Milo the bull. Have you heard of this? Milo, yeah. Do you want to dive into it? Can you remember it? Yeah. I forget the details, but basically every day Milo would pick up his calf, carry it into town and carry it back again. And obviously every day the bull got just a little bit bigger. So effectively it was like the first example of progressive overload. Um, So over the course of the year, the calf turned into a cow, you know, tripled in in weight, but every day he carried it, picked it up, put it on shoulders, carried it into town, carried it back. Um, But each day it became a little bit harder, he got a little bit bigger, um, and eventually he was swole. So so strong that you could carry a ton bull on his back. Yeah. But I think that's a, easy, a really easy way of describing what progressive overload is. And when it comes to starting off, okay, it's slightly, slightly skewed, but mm-hmm. you're already carrying excess weight on you without adding any dumbbells or anything along those lines. So you're going to get a real good workout when you focus on a technique 
B stimulus, C intensity, mm. and exertion. You're yeah. going to get a solid workout. So just because you're not necessarily lifting any equipment, just because you're not necessarily doing anything fancy, we've yeah. said in the yeah. past numerous times, when you focus on the fundamentals day in, day out, week in, week out, that's when you yield the greatest result. Yeah. There's no point in jumping from program to program, diet to diet, because it stops, starts, it staggers, you stagnate. It's yeah. just yeah. not effective. But when we really just focus on boring ass fundamentals across anything in life, you're going to get good at it. Yeah. Here's a good analogy for you. Just thought of this one. Go for it. Program hopping, diet hopping, right? Every week or two weeks or whatever. Is like putting your money into a savings account, right? Not yeah. becoming rich within two weeks. So you take your money out and you put it into a different bank account. Hoping that the next bank account is going to turn your 100 quid into a Lamborghini. There's a, a program hopping analogy. If you have a mic in your hand, you should, don't drop it because I'm making noise, but that's a mic drop analogy. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, you want to leave your money in the bank for a wee while to let it get some interest. It's the same with the yeah. program or diet. Exactly. And exactly the same. Tiny changes to the program or diet to make it more specific to you as you progress. That's what's going to give you the results, but you've got to stick with it long enough for it to actually work. Yeah. Concurrent training. There you go. Boom. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good place to finish up. I would say as well. That was fantastic. What we did. And partly because I've got a client call um, in about 10 minutes. Yeah, no, go for it. That's, uh, I think that's a great place to stop. But guys, I hope you had uh, got a lot of value from that. I hope we made you laugh, smile. If you're confused, <laughs> then uh, you know where to come. Drop us a message on Instagram, Facebook, email, check out our websites. It's all in the show notes. But um, yeah, we're obviously more than happy to answer any questions and bust any myths that uh, we may have confused you with in our podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm going to be emailing you asking some questions because i think i confused myself <laughs> that kind of momentary kind of shut down go get yourself another coffee before your client call oh i i intend to i intend to <laughs> anyway um yeah as cam said i hope you enjoyed it um any questions fire them over to us um as always it would be amazing if you could leave a rating and a review for every podcast um, we'll be back next week with another episode. So if you have any questions, fire them over. Have a great week. Have a great weekend when it comes and we'll see you next week. Take it easy. Who's there? Bye.